0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Penny Matthews, and I serve as an usher in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Come, O Holy Spirit. Come as holy fire and burn in us. Come as holy wind and cleanse us within. Come as holy light, and lead us in the darkness. Come as holy truth, and dispel our ignorance. Come as holy power, and enable our weakness. Come as holy life, and dwell in us. Convict us, convert us, consecrate us until we are set free from the service of ourselves to be your servants to the world, amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive His Holy Spirit, our ears listen to His Word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
1: Stand for the call to worship. Cry out with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with singing. For the Lord is a gracious God, whose mercy is everlasting, and whose faithfulness endures to all generations. Let us worship God.
2: We are the people of God, but scripture reminds us that we still sin. We need to confess our failures, knowing that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us with the Father, who freely forgives us through his infinite goodness and mercy. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and pray together. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, We confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy upon us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Our God fulfills his promises and is true to his word. We have confessed our sins. God has forgiven us because Christ died for us. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostle Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbor.
1: have lots of things going on here at Church of the Palms, even though it is summertime. Um, but before I forget, be sure and sign the red friendship pad that is in the pew in front of the person at one end and then pass it down and be sure and pass it back then and note the names of the people that are sitting around you so that you can greet them after the service. So um, we have a big momentous event today. James Fred Murphy turns one hundred and one. Saturday, we had our quarterly shepherding deacons uh, meeting and nearly 90 people attended. What a great event that was. And speaking of great events, we have one coming up, the Day of Hope on Saturday, July 22nd. So check your bulletin for donation and volunteer opportunities. And then next Saturday is a big day for our Day of Hope as well because we have training, a backpack prop, and an ice cream social. So check your bulletin for details. Next Sunday also, we have the new member class from 10.15 until noon in the chapel and then um, this summer, we've got Sarasota Young Voices Summer Camp that's coming up July 31st through August 4th, and children ages 8 to 18 are welcome, up, are welcome to sign up for that. And then last but not least, the Bloodmobile will be here next Sunday. Let us worship God. I'd like to invite all of the people
3: who mission trips to come forward and to stand on these stairs and these are people young and young at heart who are going both to Atlanta for Urban Serve and they leave today and we also have invited our Nicaragua missionaries to join us on this day as well even though they leave in just a couple of weeks this is awesome Jesus tells us to go and to share his love And he reminds us that we never, ever go alone. So today, we have this team going to Atlanta. If you're going to Atlanta, would you raise your hand, please? Sweet. If you are going to Nicaragua, would you raise your hand? Nice. We have about 26 going to Nicaragua, so I know some are out of town. That is awesome. So I want to ask you these questions and let you know that we cannot wait to hear how God has shown up in your life during these two mission trips. Four questions for you. First one, do you recognize your mission of being sent by God for a specific purpose? Do you accept your assignment as a commission from God to go and act on God's behalf, and do you accept the responsibility of representing this congregation in doing the work of our Lord in Atlanta and in Nicaragua? Will you work to demonstrate Christ's teachings by loving one another and by translating Christ's message with excitement and care, turning strangers into friends and friends into brothers and sisters? Do you commit yourself to serving faithfully on this trip in ways that bring honor and glory to God? Will you serve with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, treasuring your experiences as opportunities to learn and grow? Well done. I know you mean this well, deep, deep in your heart, and we didn't practice, and you still got all the answers right. Good job. All right, well, let's pray together. Guiding and loving God, empower these people to be your hands and feet. Help them to glorify you by serving others. By their actions and words, make them witnesses of your great love and your passion for your people. Protect them, teach them, and support them as they take this next step in their own journey to becoming the people you want them to be. Fill them with the Holy Spirit and enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully. Bring them safely home and then let their experience further enrich us so that we too will glorify you by serving our community in the love of Christ. Amen. Excellent. You guys can have a seat. Praise God when we pause long enough to notice the work of your creative hand we can only stand in awe and in humble adoration we say how great thou art yet Lord we are living in a broken world filled with broken people Hear us, Lord, as we turn to you with our prayers for healing and restoration, for strength and courage, for hope to carry on, knowing that you can take every situation and turn it to good, knowing that the ultimate victory belongs to you. Lord, we pray for the men and women who serve this country. We pray for their families who love them and miss them. Lord, we pray for peace. Our world is plagued with addiction, poverty, and uncertainty. Lord, use us as your instruments of peace, generosity, and love. Father, during these unstable times, we ask that you guide our leaders, give them wisdom and discernment, and we pray, Lord, for the pastors and leaders of this church. Fill them with your spirit so that they creatively and lovingly lead us closer to you. We know that people are hurting from broken relationships, broken bodies, and broken dreams. Lord, let them feel your presence in their lives. And Lord, give us eyes to see and hearts to hear so that we can hold each other up in Christian love. And finally, Father, we pray for all the volunteers who are seeking to honor you by serving kids and students on mission trips out of state and out of the country and at the Day of Hope right here on our campus. We are so grateful for the abundant opportunities we have to serve and to love one another in your name. We ask that your spirit may dwell within us, giving us all courage to seek justice and to show your love wherever we are. As your people, we pray this and the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We now would like to invite our ushers to wait upon us so that we can worship God with our tithes and our offerings that support all these amazing mission trips and all these amazing things that we do because we're a family of faith and we are called to love God and to love neighbor. Amen. pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the generosity of this congregation, those who strive to follow you with their words, their actions, and their gifts. We pray, oh, God, that this offering is acceptable to you. Bless and multiply these gifts to be used for your glory. Amen. And now you may have a seat, and I'd like to invite Miss Carol and Adair and children to come forward for the children's moment. You guys get to sit where you are now. Wow! I know. I remember when they were like
4: this. Yeah. Mm. You guys look good. So do you guys. Come on up. Come on up. I got something to show you. I how strong do you think you guys are? You guys work out. You lift. Come on, Finn. Right? You pump an iron yet? Well, I um, I want to know. If you think you can, who thinks they can hold that rock? Tatum, let's see if Tatum, Tatum. Can you hold that? It's pretty up. You're pretty strong. Okay, what else we got in the bag? Let's let's see if Finn can. Yep, you got it. Oh, be careful. All right, that's good. (laughs) All right, let's see. What about this dumbbell? You really strong? Let's see. See if Camille can do it. Cynthia, pass it to Cynthia. All right your head over your head oh yeah she's got it all right now let's see this how many of you that was good how you guys are pretty strong how many of you do you think could lift a car no I bet you could lift a car what do you think A toy car. a toy car good thinking all right Finn I'm gonna take this from you you're super strong but I bet with some help you guys could lift a car and Have you guys ever seen one of these? Thank you, Adair. Have you ever seen one of these? This is a car jack. And with the help of this, if you put this under a car and use that little cranky thing, you might actually be able, actually, you could be able to lift a car that weighs over 3,000 pounds pretty easily. You could lift a car with this help. But you couldn't do it alone, could you? No, you couldn't. So... I'm going to hand you this. So sometimes in our life, we, um, we have to carry some heavy burdens in our life. And I don't mean heavy like car heavy, I mean heavy burdens like tough stuff that you would have that lands on your heart or on your mind, things that you... So let me give an example. Some of you might have somebody that's close to you that's sick or actually maybe dealing with cancer. Sometimes we worry about stuff that happens at home that we just can't fix and we just wish that things would be different. I don't know what burdens, types of burdens you guys have on your lives, and maybe you don't have very many right now in your life, but I do know this. I do know that there are some things that will happen in life that you won't be able to carry all on your own, but you know what? You can have help with God. So you know what Jesus said? Jesus tells us in the scriptures, he says, come to me, all those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's right. We don't have to carry all this stuff on our heart and our head. We, can't, we don't have to carry it all by ourselves. The God, God's word is full of promises that help us through times of trouble. So, you know, he also says stuff like um, in, in Genesis, God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. He says, I am with you in times of trouble. God's words, his encouraging words, will help us when we need to carry a heavy load. So, do you think that means that if we ask him, he will take all of our troubles away? No, no. Actually, our troubles don't go away, but he will help us. And, um, Actually, our struggles might even make us grow stronger. Do you know, if we put our trust in Jesus, it'll help us. It'll help us be strong, and it'll help us trust God by putting our troubles in him. So, when our load is too too heavy to carry, he's going to help us carry it. And you know what? No load is too heavy for Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that You are always with us in good times and also when life gets too hard to handle on our own. Help us to be brave enough to give You our problems and know that You will lead us through the hard stuff. Amen. Okay, come on up. Let's go up. All right, now we got to carry a lot stuff.
5: Gonna carry. I got this.
1: You may be seated. Our scripture text today is Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear and accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I became a Christian in the early 70s, and soon after was invited to participate in a small group. Our first Bible study was using the book The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, in which Hal Lindsey related current events and nations of the world to biblical prophecies. While he made no predictions about timing, Lindsey's book gave you the feeling that Jesus would be coming back any second. It was so exciting, I can't begin to tell you I'd never heard this before. I imagine that is how the first Christians felt, because it's clear from Scripture that early on they thought Jesus was coming back soon. Well, one night, a newlywed couple came to visit our Bible study. They had just returned from their honeymoon and talked about their plans to fix up their new little house. And they started talking about their cupboards and how they were going to replace their cupboards. I will never forget my reaction. Now, to get this, you have to understand that one of my favorite things in all the world is home design and decorating. It's something that I could do from the moment I wake up until way past my bedtime and lose all track of time. But in that moment, at that time, when I was immersed in the imminent rapture of the church, my only thought was, Jesus is coming back any minute. How can you even think about new cupboards? (laughs) Well, some time passed, and I no longer made the error of being obsessed by Jesus' return. Instead, I made the opposite error and didn't give a thought to Jesus coming again. In describing that kind of thing, Martin Luther compared humanity to a drunkard who, after falling off his horse on the right, falls off it next time on the left. Jesus is coming again. C.S. Lewis, in his essay entitled The World's Last Night, from which I got this sermon title, says that Jesus' teaching on the subject of his second coming quite clearly consisted of three propositions. Number one, that he will certainly return. Number two, that we cannot possibly know when. And number three, that therefore we must always be ready for him. And that precisely is what our text is about. So let's take a closer look at what Jesus is telling us in this parable. But first of all, some context. There are five discourses of Jesus in the book of Matthew. This parable takes place in his very last one, the Olivet Discourse, only three days before his crucifixion. Here's how it unfolds. Jesus had gone into the temple, and while he was teaching, the religious leaders came along and tried to pick a fight with him. Standard stuff. They would ask him questions, attempting to trip him up. He would answer wisely and then tell parables that were obviously against them. After asking the Pharisees a question they couldn't answer without getting themselves into trouble with the people, Jesus told his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' feet, therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do because they do not practice what they teach. Remember that Jesus said that because it's very close to the heart of this parable. The next thing that happens is that Jesus leaves the temple with his disciples, and as they're leaving, his disciples point out the temple buildings, and wow, aren't they great. Jesus' response to them was that the buildings would all be destroyed, that not one stone would be left on another, and in fact, that happened in 70 A.D. Then, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus told his disciples the signs of the end of the age and his coming again. Of course, they wanted to know when all these things were going to happen, who wouldn't? He told them explicitly, though, that no one except the Father knows the day or the hour, not even him. He said it will be like the days before the flood. Life will be going on as usual, so we would need to watch for the signs because he will come at an unexpected time. In the last part of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus told them four parables in a row about being ready for his coming. You've probably heard all of these. The parable of the faithful and unfaithful slaves, the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids that we're talking about today, the parable of the talents with the wise and foolish stewards, and finally, the sheep and the goats. So let's zoom in on the parable of the ten bridesmaids. This parable is about a wedding, and Jesus is the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, God was portrayed as the husband of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed as the bridegroom of the church. Now, ancient Jewish wedding customs will really help us understand this parable and also help us to appreciate the rich imagery of the church as the bride of Christ and the parallels between these wedding customs and reality, including the waiting period for his return. So there are two main stages to ancient Jewish wedding custom. The first part is the betrothal, or the marriage arrangement and contract, and it corresponds to the first advent of Christ. The second stage is the consummation and the celebration, and that corresponds to his second coming and in between, there is this gap, this waiting period. In, this, in the betrothal stage, the first part, the first step is the Shadukin, or the match. It's initiated by the father of the groom, who chooses a bride for his son. An agent may or may not be used. For example, Abraham sent his slave as his agent to pick a bride for his son Isaac. A special note, given the time in history, is that the consent of the bride was required. You may remember that Rebecca had to agree to go with Abraham's slave. The parallel to the church in this part of the wedding arrangement is that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And then we must agree to follow Jesus. During the next part, gifts are given. The very most important one is the mohar, or the bride price. It was even required by law. It was paid by the father of the groom to the father of the bride and reflected the value of the bride. The parallel to the church on this one is very clear. Our heavenly Father gave his Son for us. Jesus paid the price for his bride with his life, with his blood. Paul tells us we were bought with a price. Another gift was the matan, or love gifts. They were given by the groom to the bride. They weren't required, but they were a voluntary expression of love. Believers are given love gifts also. We're given eternal life and peace, just to name two. And then the third type of gift was the shilohim or the dowry. It was given to the bride by her father to equip her for her new life. We believers are given gifts to equip us for our new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit, and spiritual gifts. And then there was the marriage contract, the ketubah. It was a written document stating the mohar or the bride price, the rights of the bride, and the promises of the groom. Our ketubah is the New Testament. It tells us of the price that Jesus paid for our sins, and as well, it tells us of God's love and mercy and grace and his exceedingly great and wonderful promises for us. The betrothal, the Kedushin, is sealed with the cup of acceptance. For the church also, there was a cup to seal the covenantal relationship between us and Christ. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Now, the betrothal is legally binding at this point. It could not be broken by a, except by a formal certificate of divorce. But the bride and groom do not live together as husband and wife yet. As the waiting period of the betrothal begins, the groom returns to his father's house to prepare the dwelling place for he and his bride, usually a room added on to his father's house, symbolized by the chupa that you see. Jesus ascended to the Father, and while we are waiting for him to return, he is preparing a place for us. In my father's house are many rooms, he says. I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. So, in the ancient Jewish custom, the bride then waited for the groom with devotion in anticipation of his return, the exact time of which was unknown. And for the church, that's you and me, we wait for Jesus with devotion and in anticipation of his return, though we don't know the exact time. The betrothal period was usually around one year, but it could be longer. Tradition dictates that only the father of the groom may decide on the time for the groom's return to carry the bride to the wedding feast. Finally, when that time came, when this waiting period was over, we get to the second part, of the marriage ritual finally when the father of the groom gave the go-ahead it was time for the nuptials and the celebration the groom would return with a procession of family and friends from his father's household with torches burning shouts and the shofar the ram's horn sounding to herald his coming then the groom the bride and their wedding party would process to the groom's father's house where they would celebrate the marriage feast and they would begin their new life together. The parallel to the church is that only the father knows when Jesus will return. When he does, we will take part in the marriage feast of the Lamb, and we will dwell forever with Jesus in the greatest joy that we have ever known. The parable of the ten bridesmaids takes place during this middle betrothal period, this waiting period. The ten maidens are part of the bride's wedding party. All of the women fell asleep because the groom, because of the groom's delay. But sleeping was not the problem. It was what the foolish bridesmaids neglected to do to prepare for the groom's coming before they fell asleep that was the problem. They neglected to bring oil for their lamps. The oil is the key to the meaning of this parable. And we can understand what the oil signifies by comparing our wise and foolish maidens to the wise and foolish builders of an earlier parable of Jesus. He said that those who hear and actually do what he teaches are like wise builders who built their houses on a rock, People that hear the teachings of Jesus and choose to ignore them or keep putting them off are like foolish builders who built their houses on sand. When the storms of life come along, as they always do, sooner or later, the houses built on shifting foundations collapse. Jesus also said that the ones who keep his commandments are the ones who truly love him, Doing what he says indicates that we believe and trust him. The wise maidens brought oil for their lamps. The foolish maidens did not. The oil then signifies a genuine relationship of the heart with Jesus that results in obeying his teachings. And following Jesus manifests itself in acts of love and mercy and service for others. That is what Jesus means when he tells us to be ready. Jesus is not saying that we must earn our salvation by doing good works. If that were even possible, he would not have had to die for us. Good works do not and cannot cause our salvation. They are the evidence of it, the evidence of our faith and the grateful response to a loving savior. Dallas Willard says, the enemy in our time is the idea that God has done everything and you are essentially left to be a consumer of the grace of God. It is crucial, he says, to realize that grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Jesus is also saying that there can come a time when it's too late. On the one hand, it is never too late to repent, for example, the thief on the cross. On the other hand, we never know Which moment will be our last? While the bridesmaids were gone, the groom arrived, and the door was locked. A rabbinic expression that means lost opportunity. So what are we to do? Are we to always live in fear that we haven't done enough? Absolutely not. That is our tendency, of course, yours and mine, but that's not what God wants for us. That is not what it means to be ready. What it does mean to be ready is that we give priority to our relationship with Jesus, and we hold to his teaching while it is today, because tomorrow may be too late. And we do this faithfully, day after day. And let us remind ourselves that we are the pride of Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who right this moment is preparing a place for us we can look forward to his coming for us as a bride looks forward to our wedding day. Each time we share the Lord's Supper when Steve ends the words of institution as he always does with the words, and he will come again. Let's remember that it's true, and it could be at any moment. And that is also a really great time for some prayerful self-examination. I can ask God and myself, how am I doing in my relationship with Him? Is He a priority in my life, or do I just give Him the leftovers? Am I really using my gifts and resources to serve Him? Am I growing in the knowledge of God and in the manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit? Or am I maybe doing too much, and I don't even leave enough time to refill myself? And I can ask God and myself how I'm doing in my relationship with others. Is there anyone I haven't forgiven? Is there a relationship that needs mending where I could take the first step? Am I faithful in honoring God in my work, in my relationship with my spouse and my children? Am I doing anything for anyone to show the love and mercy of God to the poor and the sick, to widows or orphans or homeless? or someone in prison. These are the things that Jesus asks us to do, and in doing them, we are ready. Martha Snell Nicholson was a bedridden invalid who suffered from four incurable diseases. She struggled with pain for over 35 years. Through all her pain and suffering, some of the greatest Christian poetry ever written, came from her. I leave you with a poem she wrote that demonstrates the heart of a wise maiden with extra oil. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here, and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes Grief, though he loves me still. He would have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all that is grace. While memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with the tears that I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me. Mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. What would you do today if you knew that tonight was the world's last night? Oh, This week, take some priority time to spend with Jesus for some prayerful reflection on your relationship with him and how you're both doing in it. And now, may the love of the Father, the tenderness of the Son, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.